0: hello you're listening to constant tome the only hellblazer podcast on itunes the only show devoted to john constantine i'm your host nick antoine hello again love miss me old business from this episode hence the numbers will no longer dip into the five tenths arena. Whole numbers are GTFL. New business. I hope you're eating well. Come on with the show. Hellblazer number five. When Johnny comes marching home. Ah, man. Written by Jamie Delano, Dave McKeon put together just the craziness that is the cover. John Ridgway penciled and inked all over the place. Todd Klein just lettered and lettered and lettered and lettered and lettered. And lettered. Laverne Kinsierski painted the pages with vigor. And Karen Berger edited this issue. The illustrious Karen Berger. First and foremost, check out this cover. I'm always saying that. <laughs> Never judge a book by its cover. And then I'm saying, check out the cover. But seriously, check out the cover. I'm always talking about the first time that I read something, and then the you know follow-ups. First time I saw this, you know, I saw the I saw the eyes, and I saw the soldiers, and one of them with a with a cast on his arm, and some helicopters. But it was the hands that took me off guard because for a long time they just looked like hands of somebody upside down, as if they had this elongated neck that became the bridge of the nose of the giant eyes at the bottom. But, you know, if you just look at it properly, which I should have done, <laughs> you can see between the hands, there's this face with these, like, paint-stretched teeth, as if they're demonic, and the eyes uh, closed in horror. The line that they create is completely in sync. It follows uh, in, the, in the pathway of one of the lines of the sun in the background. It's it's a disturbing image for it to be the smaller part of the whole. Um, am I going to point out what I normally point out? No, because it does not exist. I would like to point out, though, this is the 1980s, uh, specifically 88, May of 88, and at the bottom right of page 2, <laughs> World of Smallville 2 of 4. Ma Kendra recounts the death of her husband in stolen moments as the miniseries continues to reveal new facts which always fascinates me I know that Smallville existed pretty much as long as Superman did um, or at the very least Clark Kent's origins but anytime I see Smallville pre like 2006, 2005 in print I'm like oh how are they referring to the TV show that's impossible but as I always said usually stay away from talking about stuff like that on this podcast we are kind of thrust in to this story because of how the previous arcs had went down. You had one with uh, the demon, the moth, which technically was <coughs> three issues. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. And then the previous issue was uh, disturbing, to say the least. Uh, if you haven't read it, go read it. Issue four of Hellblazer. If you, haven't, if you haven't read all the rest of the issues up till now, please stop listening to the podcast. Please, please, please. And go, 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 go get them. Go read them. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. If you have read it, or you've just come back, Man, that was crazy stuff, right? They really, really went there. How in the world is someone going to think oh, that it's a good idea to put on print? We can't get any bolder than that. Well, we get this issue. Um, it, it kind of, it, not even figuratively, it literally thrusts you into the jungle. August tenth, nineteen sixty-eight. Now, I, I knew that that was the Vietnam War. Clearly, it says Vietnam. They're in a war. Uh, the title suggests that clearly this is something having to do with war veterans or returning soldiers. Uh, I know it's the same thing, but you know, yes. Um, but I figured a little bit of history doesn't hurt because I'm an American, I'm 30, and I barely know anything about the Vietnam War, whether it was out of um, uh, an inability for the public school system to be able to handle the entirety of history, let alone American history, and make it palatable for a growing mind, K-12, through or it was my own personal willful ignorance, because it was something that was tragic that I wanted to know less about, which is the, the, uh, the worst thing you can do when it comes to history. But I'd like to point out a couple of things. Like I said, it takes place on August 10th in 1968. Uh, the war itself occurred between November 1st of 1955 and April 30th, 1975. 20 years, I had no idea. It lasted, seemed like, forever, Um, which is really, really sad. There are some aspects, though, that I really didn't know that are worth pointing out. I'm always under the impression that, okay, Vietnam War. It was basically North Vietnam was uh, adamant about having a, a communist government. Don't think about communism, good or evil, just as a political ideology. They wanted a communist government. Uh, allied powers from around the world didn't necessarily want that. Excuse me, to happen. There are various reasons as to why they did or didn't want that to happen. But to, suffice it to say, the newspaper headlines would have stated, "Communist uh, sympathizers are helping to bolster North Vietnam." Uh, they had wanted to. The truth being, that North Vietnam had wanted to unify South Vietnam into one Vietnam as a communist country, uh, akin to Cuba or Russia or China, uh, especially at the time. Uh, they had quite a few supporters, the, the most prominent ones being China, South... Uh, South... China, Soviet Union, <laughs> Cuba. Uh, yeah, I would assume to a lesser degree, North Korea, Czechoslovakia, before it was a Czech Republic, uh, and... Slovakia, I think that's how it works, uh, and Bulgaria. The anti communist forces were South Vietnam, the US, South Korea, and to a lesser extent, a bunch of other places. It's the best way to say it. A kingdom of Laos, Khmer Republic, Philippines, Canada, oh, Canada, Taiwan, West Germany, the UK, even Iran. I had no idea that we had fought in a war with Iran. You, You know, Hey, look, you learn something new every day. Keep that in mind. Yes, the United States fought in a war with Iran as early or as recently as 29 years ago. Sorry, that's horrible math. 39 years ago. <laughs> it was 29 years ago. I would have been born during the Vietnam War. Um, but I was always under the impression that the communist forces of Vietnam were this unified front. They aren't, and I feel like that's, that's a skewed way that the war has been portrayed over the years. Um, Apparently, there was the Viet Cong, which we know about. You always hear that that phrase, and I hate that phrase, but you always hear about it. Um, But the official name is the National uh, Liberation Front, the NLF. They were a lightly armed, South Vietnamese, communist, common front aided by the North that fought a guerrilla war against the Allied forces. So, you know, the, the different movies that detail war, Uh, detailed that war. Um, Anytime you hear people that are Vietnam veterans talking about the war, there's a good chance they're talking about the guerrilla fighters that they fought because those were more prevalent. Those were the ones that could occur at any moment. You know, somebody coming out of the forest. Mostly because um, allied powers are going throughout North Vietnam, and I would assume uh, attempting to protect South Vietnam. trying to route out who is perceived to be the enemy Uh, and if that were to occur in any country and you could look at history at any point, whether it's in the far distant past or July of 2014, you can see that any time an occupying force goes into a city that is housed by residents that aren't of the same citizenry, they're not affiliated with the country that invading them, they're bound to want to protect themselves. It, that's, that's the, um, the animalistic core within us all that, that need for survival, the fight or flight uh, usually choosing fighting as opposed to peaceful alternatives of talking imagine a country refusing to fight a war that's being fought towards them and instead attempting to ins- insist on having conversations especially in this new digital age it's not like there would be completely silence. Everyone would find out and shame the country that was shooting them down. You couldn't necessarily have had something like that go down in the Vietnam War because all you had were the newspapers and the war footage that was sent back by the uh, PAOs, the Public Affairs Officers. I'm sorry, Public Affairs Officers uh, that served in the various branches of the Allied military units. So you were bound to hear more stories about guerrilla warfare just because it happened more often. It was a day-to-day thing. It could be at any moment, at any time, and that's nerve wracking But there was another aspect, and I had no idea of this. It was called the People's Army of Vietnam, or the North Vietnamese Army. They were the ones that engaged in a quote-unquote conventional war, at times committing large units in the battle. Those are the guys that really set the stage for different, um, uh, different... Turning points, different massive attacks, different uh, drastic measures needing to be taken by the the Allied powers because, for the most part, they were unexpected. All I've been reading here, and again, you know, use use the, the, one of the great triumvirate of the internet, uh, the the the, the, the all powerful wiki. Go ahead and do it because I always tell people. You can say what you want about Wikipedia and its ability to change all the time, but you're never supposed to look at knowledge as a one-time thing. Whatever it is that you learn, go back and relearn it. It never hurts, Uh, just to refresh your memory. Doctors, lawyers do it all the time. And the various people within those professions, medical profession and the legislative branch in essence and all its permutations, local, state, and federal level uh, in the US and then around the world, they have to continually look at books because things change. Uh, in real life, uh, people's circumstances change, so they have to reevaluate the laws, or laws will become outdated because things no longer are done a particular way, so now they have to be reevaluated. Um, who's to say that them doing that is worthy, but everyone like us, the common citizen, deciding, yeah, I'm going to go back and reread that thing that I read a week ago, or that thing I read a month ago, is crazy. That thought process. Uh, leads to woeful ignorance as I said I've been guilty of myself uh, so when you read something on Wikipedia take it at like 90% face value and then wait a week or two and then go back and refresh your memory on it, it sounds like I'm giving you homework but that's all life is uh, trying to find a way to make home work, sorry for that pun that was, that was ridiculous but it's true um, and then wait another two weeks after you read it, you know. So basically, give yourself about a month period of learning something. Because in that time, any if there's any chance that somebody put something up that uh, you know was false information or links that become dead links, you know, because they're no longer valid, you can start to see like, oh, this information is valid. This information isn't valid. That's fact checking. There's nothing wrong with that. People are going out of their way, especially if they have the 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 extra time, not spare time or free time but the extra time to contribute to the world brain, really the, the world memory bank that is Wikipedia, the gigantic global encyclopedia Britannica, or I guess encyclopedia Pangea. that's sexier, uh, and more apt. Uh, there's no reason to forsake that and say, oh no, I'm going to go to a textbook that's going to give me information. It doesn't change. The textbook is just for reference. You can say like, oh, that thing did happen. We, this is the concrete evidence of that, or a digital textbook, that thing could happen, it's a PDF, you know, we can see if there's been changes, we can look at the timestamps and the like, um, that's fine, but the world is a breathing entity, and, and it is so because of the parasites that live on it, <laughs> i.e. the animal kingdom and us, we, we have to make a conscious effort to uh, learn in the most efficient way possible, and that includes going out into the world and interacting with the chaos that is the animal kingdom and humanity. Uh, Going back home and genuflecting on what's occurred and trying to find parallels between the past and the present to see if it's something that's repeating itself or it's wholly new because of the effects of the past. It's always worth knowing. Uh, That being said, the time period that this particular story takes place in August tenth, 1968, or at least one part of the story. As I was reading, I found that it was a part of this thing called the Tet Offensive, and I've definitely heard of that before. Um, I've heard it in, it's always like a passing line in some movie, you know, I can't name anything off the top of my head right now. I'm sure the various Vietnam War movies have mentioned it, because it's, it's a big thing, but I mean just random movies, like m- movies that do not have to do necessarily with war, but it might have to, you know, like a country versus country, but it might be like a war between a man and a gang, or, you know, uh, two mobs, you know, whatever, like that's, I feel like that's where I've heard it from. Um, what's bizarre though, like I said, uh, this particular story occurs during that, and specifically during phase two. I'm sorry, during phase three, I said... Well, it's technically between phase two and phase three, because the the story takes place in August 10th, 1968. But phase two ended in June 15th, and phase three began August 17th. So it would have been a time period where, like, oh, the the, sh- the shit hit the fan, and then now we're kind of figuring like, reevaluating what we're going to do next, okay? Now, what's the fascinating aspect of this? Uh... You know what? I won't spoil anything. Please, please go read up on this. Um, I will say that overall, the Allied forces were seen as the victors because they had less casualties. That's a sad fact about war. People look at it that way. We were throwing our leaden semen all over the place, hoping to... uh, Seed the earth with death. Uh, the person that sows the most crops wins. Um, wow, that allegory really was spawned from this graphic novel. I apologize if that seemed ham-fisted, um, but I, th- there, th- war is multifaceted. It's a twenty-sided die when it comes to exactly what's the true face and what isn't. Um, apparently what the real out like takeaway from this war was especially by the people on the side of the allied powers was these guys mean business (laughs) like they're not playing around like we're used to the guerrilla warfare aspect and they're just in essence hired guns and people who want to protect their country as opposed to you know the north vietnamese army who are you know they're soldiers They're people that are doing their job, just like Allied Forces. They're people doing their job. They're serving their country's wishes and whims. Um, From what's being said here, it basically uh, says it was the the mini-TET that occurred between May and August. Um, For the most part, uh, as it says here, it says May Offensive was considered much bloodier than the initial phase of the Tet Offensive. Um, apparently 87,000 people had been made homeless, and more than 500 people were killed, another 4,500 people were, were wounded, uh, just that that's on the Vietnamese side, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tragic, but clearly what was shown by the North Vietnamese Army was that they were capable of creating large-scale attacks. Um, attempting to decimate different forces that tried to come into the country and take over which you know you have to give respect to not to say that they were right, I'm not saying they were right at all I'm not saying one side is right or wrong, I'm just saying if you're talking about war if quote unquote all is fair in love and war you have to respect different sides the, the strategy of different sides and if their strategy was to have in essence during the day their armies going out and basically Overtaking strongholds, making sure that everything was uh, in their favor when it came to having uh, strategic positions, and then at night sending out people to, you know, uh, in essence, make sure that their strongholds are kept strong. That way, when they go on to the next day, they can push out for it. That's just good war strategy. Of course, I feel horrible for people that ended up uh, dying. During this, uh, as it says, uh, during the Tet Offensive, quote-unquote, Hanoi fall, I'm sorry, fall, that's that's my English right there, Be messed up by dyslexia. Hanoi failed in its most ambitious goal of producing a general uprising in the South, and ended up suffering more than 45,267 deaths, but ended up gaining a propaganda political and strategic victory. It says it was mainly the Viet Cong. Again, if you look at war strategy, you know, uh, I hate to do it, but just look at South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. The whole Operation Get Behind the Darkies. I thought that was hilarious. And uh, again, to point out, I'm black, and I'm not a self-hating negro or anything like that. Um, but I, you know, I find certain things hilarious. I like to point it out so people don't feel offended by the fact that it's so blatantly true. Uh, the, the idea of Operation Get Behind the Darkies, the people that you as a military leader don't necessarily see as a high-value asset. You thusly use as pawns. It's something that's happened, I'm sure. It's gotta be a chicken-egg situation, what came first, chess or war. Um, But it's something that's definitely always been used when it came to a strategy to overtake an opponent. Um, It's fascinating that it's saying specifically that mainly of the 45, 267 that were killed they were quote unquote mainly Viet Cong that doesn't seem like it was a mistake that very much seems like a concerted effort and again it's military strategy if your main army is left intact and doesn't have to worry about having lost casualties because the citizens have decided to take up arms and coordinate with you to the best of their abilities to help preserve their country you can sit back as a general or you know even down to second lieutenant you can sit back and be very Happy and thankful that you can now reevaluate your strategy and focus on other offensives. It's just it's very bizarre. So if you have all that going on and you look at again the context of this story, where you have this character kind of going through the the jungles on edge because they don't know what's coming next, it's put into context if it's during this Tet offensive, just recently, like like a couple weeks prior, uh, there was just heavy, heavy, heavy gunfire and napalm and c4 and uh, what's the thing I'm thinking about Uh, landmines and claymores and grenades like that's all the stuff that don't even include bizarre rounds of bullets that was a hard sentence Uh, different calibers of bullets that do different types of damage all of that going on, you finally have a moment's respite, and now you're moving along, and, and things are, seem as if they're ramping up, and it's because they are, because the next phase in the Tet Offensive is going to occur, and you have no idea you're having to face "quote unquote" the Viet the Viet Cong or citizens who want to live. We're made in the, on the second page uh, to flash back, so now we go from August tenth, nineteen sixty eight. August 10th, 1987, 19 years later, which would be, if you, if you think about it, it would have been around the time that if somebody had went off to war, just like normally happens when individuals go off to war, male or female, they tend to get that sense of desperation within them, like they don't know what's coming next, so if they have a loved one and they're able to uh, procreate, there's a good chance that they might attempt to make a child. that they can have something that's real something that can be uh, worth fighting for on top of their loved one uh, or as well as their loved one uh, for when they come back home Uh, so given the time frame it seems like it would have been plausible for somebody that would be a 18 year old 19 year old that could be drafted uh, kinda you know forlorn because their father or mother didn't make it back. Now, I know that sounded politically correct. I'm sure there were female enlisted personnel doing various duties within the Vietnam War effort, just like there were in World War II, uh, because it was a uh, a growing aspect, a growing population within the US military. Uh, but I think the majority were male. And if there were female, they were segregated from. I know that has to be the case because G.I. Jane came out. I know I'm like making references to movies as if they're fact, but come on, we're talking about uh, a fictional medium. Uh, and I, I don't know, it just, it just gives me that feeling that it was mostly men that would have been on the front lines uh, and then women would have been relegated because of horrible, horrible sexism to just, you know, like nurses or, you know, uh, maybe dealing at the public affairs office or, you know, at back at a base that's not anywhere near the war zone. Um, I'm not, as per usual, going to necessarily spoil anything. What I will say is the the detail continues. The fact that corn stalks are used as metaphors for... Th- um, gateways, thresholds, places you can go through to go between um, points in time is an amazing, an amazing device and the fact that it's so meticulously drawn even if it was just a green swath of paint and then coming in with black ink to just do lines still there's all that drama to to do something that's really just going to end up being a a plot device uh, to have all the different pieces of corn on the different corn stalks the ears of corn it's just that's again it's just so much effort so much effort just to get the point across um, as an individual who like i said you had you would have had a 19 year old that would have still been home this this town this town of liberty again great great uh, allegories everywhere and it's just amazing um, they uh, they were privy to something that's very Prevalent in the U.S. I know it happens around the world, but again, I, I, I try not to speak for the rest of the world because I'm not uh, a, I'm a citizen of the world, but I haven't been all over the world. So for me to say exactly how it is in one place or another would be ludicrous for me. But I can definitely say that for the United States over there, for the most part, it happens often where someone will have large swaths of land, and they, it's acres here. I don't know what it is everywhere else around the world it could be like that, and all the rest of the English-speaking places basically is a square parcel of land and people will have X amount of acres that will be configured in bizarre patterns or they'll be evenly distributed like a rectangle or square. And then on the edges it'll have like a little piece that kinda of juts into someone else's land or whatever. Um but for the most part they're usually quite uniform, especially the closer inland you get in the US away from the coast. Um what's prevalent is the interstate highway. People need to travel. Unfortunately the two parties being the U.S. government and the private citizen, don't always come to terms on how the interstate should cut through their property. So there will be buyouts, uh, there will be all kinds of things. I don't want to accuse one side or another of doing positive or negative things. Just suffice to say, the situation that is afflicting liberty in this graphic novel, which is they lost business because the interstate took away the traffic, it's something that happens in this country all the time. It's what creates ghost towns. They might have only gotten, you know, 100 cars a day, 200 cars a day. But to get 200 cars a day, you put a gas station on that main road, there's a good chance that 10% of those cars out of the day are going to get gas. If you have 20 cars getting gas and it's the 1980s, there's a good chance you're going to be making at least 20 bucks a day off of gasoline. And then you got, you know, the amenities, the stuff that's inside, you know, the beef jerky, the Drake's Cakes, the hostesses. The the sodas, the juices, the waters, uh, the hot dogs, hot dogs on a stick, Uh, you know, corn dogs, Um, delicious. If you've never had a corn dog, go have one. They're amazing. Have it with syrup, specifically maple syrup. Anyway, um, they're bound to lose business if you then are diverted as a you know as a driver away from that particular road and to a a less congested um, stretch of road that's connected to the main interstate highway in the U.S. It's just, it's efficient driving. Like, why would you choose differently unless you were going out of your way? It's unfortunate. Um, So this town now, having had to deal with the fact that they have so much less traffic, so much less tourism, uh, is, is at the breaking point. As such, you have most, if not all, of the parents and siblings and children of... All the soldiers that left 19 years, 20 years prior to go to the Vietnam War, they, they want them back. The war has been over for a while, and they may or may not have gotten any kind of letter saying that they were KIA, killed in action. For the most part, and it pops up quite a bit in this, they, they, the, the absolute worst they heard was, am I missing in action? Which means there's a very good chance they're still alive. Um, they're given a promise uh, by... A group of individuals that have been popping their heads up uh, in this graphic novel series, uh, in this constant tome, if you will, um, over the course of the last couple of issues, and we'll get to that in a second. What I want to point out first is this individual. Uh, I want to say his name is Frank? Yes, Frank Ross. Frank Ross is the the catalyst for change, if you will, in this graphic novel. Very, 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 very very deeply disturbed individual. He was involved in in some form with the Vietnam War. You know, again, trying not to spoil stuff. Um, and he ends up being the one that causes all all the uh, the events in this particular graphic novel. Why I believe that was spawned on was because of the hatred that everyone in the town had for him, he was the only one if not one of the only ones But it's the way they're portraying it is he was the only one that actually came back but he wasn't one that anyone would have wanted to come back yes he has a wife um, but when it comes to what the town wanted back, what the town needed to, to feel like sending their children off to war was necessary or justified uh, wasn't satisfied by this individual coming back Hence him, drowning his sorrows, in a bottle. Uh, and as he does so, finally on the splash page six to seven, John Constantine shows up. Kind of like yeah, okay, so trying to find these crazy Bible thumpers. I feel like this is the right place to be. The name resurrect the Resurrection Crusaders. Uh, there's another word for it. I can't remember it off the top of my head. going to be in here. Um, it's said here that he was going to go look for Swamp Thing, specifically uh, quote-unquote, I'm only supposed to be in the States for a quick visit to check up on the Swamp Thing. And then he name-checks the Inquirer. Um, from what I've read in and I, and I recollect, you know I'm not even going to go into that, because that's all kinds of spoilers and all that stuff. Um, nevertheless, uh, Constantine goes up to Frank's uh, wife, Mrs. Ross, and asks for a ride to the motel, because he kind of, you know, he wants to clean up doesn't know exactly what's going on, uh, but he knows that he's being led to this place um, through different magazine articles, through gut feelings, that these religious individuals who had a very, very, very prominent role in the previous issue, creepy, creepy people, um, that mob uh, just might be heading this way. Um, What I'd like to point out again, I'm always pointing out imagery, is the funeral, or really the funeral parlor. I guess you could say even in The Wake. Um, on page 8, you see an old woman and a younger woman, the, specifically Frank Ross's uh, wife, standing over a casket. And in two different shots, you see the individual in the casket. I'm going to be honest, I don't think I've ever seen that in a graphic novel before. I've seen caskets. I've seen it from the other publishing house, like I had mentioned in the, in the previous podcast. There was some time I was reading some graphic novels, and the one... With about the guy with the uh, vibranium shield, Uh, there was a casket here and there. I remember that with like an American flag draped over it. Uh, I remember uh, a JSA cover with the different members of the JSA with their hands on a casket. Um, I, I feel like I even saw it in Justice League Unlimited. The character had died and they, you know, carried a casket out. But whether it's cartoons, or graphic novels or even in films when someone's carrying out you know the, the, the funeral procession is going down and the six individuals or four individuals depending on the size of the casket are holding the casket to move it from the, the, um, the place of ceremonial worship to the place of consecrated burial uh, it's closed you almost never see it if it's inside the ceremonial chambers uh, you'll almost never if not I'm going to go so far to say you'll never see it Open, Um, I think one or two times on television it's been shown. And I want to say it was... It's always Sonny in Philadelphia. And How I Met Your Mother. Because I remember a scene with... Like, for some reason, I remember the characters here of Dee and Frank. Like, going over to her casting and messing with him. Maybe, like, the second or third season. I know I'm going there because I could be wholly wrong. But I feel like that was there. And in How I Met Your Mother, I remember... Uh, with Marshall's when Marshall's no oh, that's spoilers an individual had passed uh, and the, the gang had come up to the casket to say different things and I know there was a couple POV shots at the characters but some of the far away shots I feel like definitively you saw the open casket so on television you might see it more often than not if it's in a comedic vein you know like there's jokes going on around so you can make light of the situation but if you're supposed to have this tragic scene you almost never see it um it's a very, very poignant image, so much so that I believe the song November Rain by Guns N' Roses was made that much more potent. Obviously, it's a great song, amazing solos by Slash. The music video was top-notch. Uh, it spawned a bunch of other bands and, and producers to decide that music videos with Rain would be really cool, and they almost always are. Um, just look at, was it Dirty Diana? I think Dirty Diana. No, Dirty Diana was a stage show. The stage uh, music video. Um, the Way You Make Me Feel, there was, there was which one we'll called in that. That was before. So that might've been the precursor. Maybe it was The, ma- the Way You Make Me Feel with the Fire Hydrant. Wow, I'm really going there with the references. I'm gonna pull back. Um, but for the most part, you know, I think that, that might've helped that, that music video. And I'm uh, more than positive, there was there an was open casket because it was, it was Axl Rose that was the husband in the video. And I feel like, you know, he would have wanted to show his face, like they wouldn't have made up his face to make him look dead. He would have just looked like him, just eyes closed. Um, It's just, again, it's something you rarely see, and then when you do see it, it becomes that much more poignant because it's so rare. These two images, it's it's something that I completely missed the first time I read it. I saw it the second time I read it, but it kind of uh, was glossed over by the main craziness that occurs in the story. and then the third time I saw it, it just kind of really hit me because you end up seeing it again. You see it quite often in this issue. And I'm sure you see it a bunch of times throughout the series. People's dead faces—the way that it's represented by John Ridgway—is quite accurate. That sounds creepy, but I, I've been to a funeral too. You know, I'm a human being. I'm an adult. And, um, of course, there's going to be a time where friends and family, and you know, close family, relatives, acquaintances—there's a chance that somebody unfortunately could end up passing. Uh, from this mortal coil, and you know, you want to pay your respects. You want to get that grief off of your chest, or off your back, or out of your mind, wherever it resides in your psyche, um, or on your person. Uh, you want to do so by going to view the body to kind of close the chapter on your uh, on on your awareness of that individual's existence. And there's a very odd sunk in look about a face in a casket it makes sense because the muscles are not taught as they are when you're awake and i mean taught like you know rope like you're pulling rope and now it's tight that kind of taught not taught obviously like oh you taught a group of school children sorry to belittle guys and gals uh but instead of having that need for the muscles to hold up this 5 to 15 pound skull <laughs> and, and, and gray matter and, and dead skin cells that are primped and permed into the fashion of the decade, uh, it now is just trying to go that much closer to the core of the earth as all bodies would attempt to do because they're just subject to gravity, uh, despite the fact that it's one of the weakest forces. In physics so you'll have the jaw line you know the jaw kind of sinking in to the to the throat area o- over the trachea the, that muscle that uh, that layers the bottom uh, the bottom part of your jaw I guess what you consider your jaw where if you look at a skull there's nothing there that jaw bone is pretty much a u shape there's, there's no bone under that like just some people don't know that uh, that whole area is just mush. So it just is, is pushed down, and I've, I've been a coroner's offices, They kind of have to, you know, put it in a position, the head, so that the mouth is closed, the eyes are closed, early on. That way, it doesn't get stuck in a position where it's not. Um, the The different facial muscles that help to form exactly who you are as an individual, um, the things that keep your eye your your eyelids open or spaced apart the way that they are, the the the, the muscles that help to keep your, your cheekbones covered by flesh, so that they're not constantly scraped by different... I don't know why your face would constantly be getting scraped by stuff, but uh, the different purposes of all those muscles are gone now, so this, you know, the, the, there's no blood coursing through them to give them the, the precious oxygen and iron that they need, so now it's just the skin folding back, and it's a very, very creepy image, and the fact that they not only show it once but twice shows the urgency of these artists to try and portray the dire circumstances that these people that were left alone in liberty are facing, you know, to, to be still holding in 1987, to still be holding funeral parlors in a home, which, uh, again, you know, I'm always uh, going to the to the QI, well, uh, hats off to Stephen Fry, you uh, rock, that's a horrible thing to say, of such an intelligent man, uh, you are progressing the collective intelligence of the entire world unfathomably forward and unfathomably to the general public. They have no idea exactly how far they are being moved just by having something that's quite interesting placed upon them. They'll remember and they'll go back thanks to YouTube. Um, But this idea that living rooms haven't always been just a place where people have substituted as if it's a den most people, if they have a normal layout for a home, they don't have a living room and a den. If they have a living room and a den, then the den is where the TV is and the fireplace. The living room is a room that has couches and chairs that nobody sits in. I don't. I don't care what race you are. There's a good chance if you're the the individual that's has a house that has a living room and a den is over fifty. That's what's going on. There's some kind of like plastic on the chairs. You know, I'm I'm bringing up memories for you. You know, no problem. And then as well, there's a dining room, okay? The idea was you create a living room because you want to celebrate the living. So you, you, want, to, you want to try and accentuate the fact that life is worth living and, 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 and bring up spirits, not bring up spirits that conjure up the dead, but lift the spirits of the already living. So there would be quite a few funerals held in people's homes because it it's not like there was uh, electric cars or the internet throughout human history you had to place the body somewhere and a lot of times people would b- bury their relatives in their yard this is going way way back but they'd have much more land it's not like it's half an acre in front of the house and there's 10 bodies it's not like that There would be huge swaths of land but there would be a space that was the graveyard the family graveyard um the idea that there would be a place in the home where you would have a, an open casket on a table, and people would come in for you know a day or two, you know, as 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 you could keep the body to the best of your abilities before things started to go off and smell. And uh, People would bring by food and uh, play music and and console the grieving. Uh, it's something that's very personal, and it seems like something that would be probably the best look. For humanity to continue doing, to keep moving forward, because the more we divorce ourselves from the prospect of death, the more we believe ourselves to be invisible, invincible, uh, in inevitably ever living, uh, invisible to the specter of death, invincible from being able to be harmed by reality. Uh, it's it's something we, we're, we're divorcing ourselves from, and we should probably not be doing so until we figure out a way to secure immortality. To get back to this story, what I think is interesting is that it involves time travel, but it's not explicitly stated, but there are certain phrases that are used, like I said, life threshold, like uh, displacement. You know, in certain words are use it, like, yeah, this is a displacement, and they're, uh, given the gist of what's going on, again, trying not to spoil stuff, a group of people that are going about their business during this phase between the Tet Offensives phases two and three on August 10th in 1968. Going through the jungle, going about their business, and going and not, not enacting a particular mission but just doing what they think is the right thing to be doing at the moment, at the time. And then to have these events, different events, occur in 1987 and have it be that what's playing out in 1987 is happening because of what the people are doing in 1968. Not like, oh, they did it, and then 19 years later some crap happened. But no, as if there's some te- temporal displacement where there's an illusion going on, and the people in 1968 think that they're fighting the Viet Cong. They think that they're fighting Vietnamese citizens uh, with with weapons, but they're actually fighting people from 1987. For some reason there's this this temporal... Or spiritually induced displacement that's causing them to think that they're still in 1968 and they really really aren't so Johnny is suitably stated actually coming home they do Uh, amongst all this sadness the Rex the resurrection crusade that that is what they're called but that was the other thing I was thinking about the thing that they're always promoting the pyramid of power uh, is being blared on television as some of the relatives uh, specifically the ones involved around Frank Ross's wife so it is, I would assume it would be like frank ross's wife 's parents uh, or neighbors that you know kind of around the TV just like yeah you know uh, we put our money together and then they put our prayers up on the list uh, look you're going say you well I, i'll say this I used to be involved with religion just like a lot of people you know it's you're human you wanted you either wanted to know the unknown or you were forced to try and understand the unknown because of your family as a child you know um and it's forced to various degrees to varying degrees it could be that you were forced because you know oh it's sunday and we go to church you know so you kind of have no choice you're forced to do something because you had no choice of doing anything else or it was forced like you had to go on multiple days or if you didn't go, you would be grounded. You know, you had to do different aspects of Sunday school or, you know, X day school. So, you know, Tuesday school or Thursday school uh, that involved that particular religion's dogma or doctrines. Um, I definitely fell into the later camp. Later. Look at that. I know better. It's two Ts. Ladder camp. Um, I, I found myself in act two of that uh, experience, thoroughly enjoying it. When I was presented with the dilemma uh, during adolescence, I didn't know any better, didn't know that it was, you know, wisdom passed down that could be used in your life, but you don't have to uh, go around preaching it to people all the time, or even believing everything that you're told, but hearing things that make sense to you, try and make it make sense to the rest of the world, not by proselytizing what you believe but when you are confronted with situations using this information that you've been given to try and make sense of your whether the decision you're going to make the, the choice you're going to make is the right one or not morally speaking um, not politically, morally so that first act between let's say like 8 and 12 years old I, I rebelled against it but I paid it no mind, you know, so I, I didn't want to be doing it, but I wasn't uh, doing anything that it was aggressively rebellious to try and keep myself from religion. Uh, it was once that second act kicked in, when the hormones kicked in, uh, 12 to 14, uh, pushing 15, but let's just say 12 to 14, where it, it became that much more engrossing in my life because I saw the power behind it. Not the power of the deities, but the hold of the, of the, the prospect of the return of a deity that, that was held over a congregation and that's whether it's a congregation of 20,000 or a congregation of 10 people that they will listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth if they believe in what you believe or at least what you espouse to believe, which is that you have some form of a divine connection to the Almighty. And that is the case any, any preacher, whether they're a priest or a deacon or a pastor, or a rabbi, the, uh, or, an, or an imam, I-M-A-M, uh, the, the, why am I not getting the word, the conceit is that those individuals are able to do what they're doing. They're, they're being allowed to lead the flock, what, however large the flock is, because of the message that they've received whether it's a message that caused them to convert to that religion or to become more devout in that religion or to become baptized into that religion and thusly feel like they need to uh, give sermons, regardless of their religion, uh, on that religious text and try and make it make sense in the modern world, those individuals, the, the the consensus is, oh, these people they pray, they, they have a, a spiritual calm within themselves, and there's a good chance that at one time or another, or maybe on a constant basis, they talk to our deity. They talk to our God. Um, which, I say our deity is a little bit better because God is a synonymous word. Allah, Yahweh, Jehovah, God, they're all the same individual. I mean, that's That's period, full stop. They're the exact same individual. Read anywhere in the Quran, uh, you'll get the the the, the obvious, just that, chronologically speaking, Judaism, Christianity, or Judaism, Christianity slash Catholicism, um, and is, uh, the is Islam, Islamism, uh, came out of humanity in that order. And each time the new permutation came out, and we can even go back a little bit farther. So the the uh, Sumerian and Babylonian and the ancient Greek and the ancient Romans and pagans everything that they believed eventually got to a point where Judaism was on the rise but had all these stories that were similar so you had the Epic of Gilgamesh and the flood and those stories and then as well you'll have Noah and the flood or uh, Jesus and his descent into hell in the New Testament uh, to go and get people and bring them back up to heaven that was the whole point Um, I'm really going on a tangent here but people always focus on um either the life of jesus his crucifixion or the fact that he was resurrected as if it's three parts in the story that's it they'll focus on one of the three parts one aspect that is very rarely talked about in the story and again this is on the supposition that the stories are i don't want to say concise but weren't setting out to tell lies regardless of the religion, that they're just telling you a story. The, the, the main plot line is a boy finds out that he just may be the incarnation of a deity. He's shunned by the status quo. He goes off to go and find himself. He comes back as an older man and says, okay, so basically uh, we're all created in God's image. We all have to be better towards each other. And we got to stop all the silliness. Just love. It's really not that hard. Just love each other. People like, oh, I don't know about all that because what's been going on recently has kind of been working. So we're going to keep doing what we're doing. The people who didn't say that ended up following behind this individual and calling him the son of God. That ended up ruffling the feathers of individuals who saw that as a problem because if you just look at the Roman Empire, any time you have a religion deciding who wants to bolster itself up 99 percent of the time at the time it was a cult and there would end up being all kinds of festivities just look up bacchanalia where people would just get rowdy for no reason you know it's as if you know a new cult comes up it's as if you just introduce crack to the neighborhood so now everybody's getting ridiculously intoxicated there's probably some diseases flowing around you know some some leprosy some some plague-esque thing because people are now having sex for recreation and not procreation which is cool but it's when it gets into polygamy and, and drunken ribble, ribaldry uh, that's when it starts to get a little bit dangerous for the population as a whole so for a government to want to try and seize control of that makes perfect sense uh, if I'm not mistaken it was the Sanhedrin but I don't want to uh, cast dispersions so it was the local governing uh, party uh, in Jerusalem? It wasn't Bethlehem. He was from Bethlehem. He went to Jerusalem. Yeah, he was born in Bethlehem and then he lived in Nazareth. Yeah, because he was Jesus of Nazareth but he was born in Bethlehem. So he was born in Bethlehem, he was raised in Nazareth, lived in Nazareth, and then went to Jerusalem. Okay, I'm pretty sure that's 100% right. (laughs) And if it's not, sorry to all you religious folk. Um, The people who were in charge of making sure that the taxes continue to get collected that's not a racial stereotype that's the function of government you had that federal level in this case it would have been the roman empire with their vast empire and vast array of armies stationed all over the known world at the time the known flat world Uh, they were everywhere but they couldn't do everything so anytime they conquered an area or went into some form of a truce situation with an area uh, the local citizens whoever was in a governing position would end up being the ones that would collect taxes from the populace so that the roads could be maintained, so that they could add the security and safety of Roman sentries and Roman centurions. Uh, just in case there was an invading army, they were like, oh no, we don't like the Romans, they can go F themselves. Uh, there was all these all these services that were rendered, you know, cleaner water, access to different types of food, the the allowance of, of Uh, even more foreign merchants to come from even more foreign lands to now come to their city because there's a clear path between the the place that they're coming from and where you are now because it's a Roman territory Uh, there's so many advantages to being in a a part of the Roman Empire as opposed to being on the outside of it that paying taxes to maintain your safety wasn't necessarily that bad of an idea especially if you're talking about people that were making decisions uh, pre-internet pre-television, pre-newspapers, pre-global literacy, (laughs) it just makes sense. Oh, I give you a couple pieces of silver or a piece or two of gold each month uh, or each quarter, whatever the the, the divisor was, uh, and I don't have to worry about people coming and spearing me in my home. Yeah, that'll work. Those people that were in charge of that found out about this guy who's being called the son of God Who's being called the new incarnation of what's been worshipped for millennia millennia there's all these texts already that exist. It's the Old Testament, uh, an individual who's being called the messiah, the 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 second coming uh, in essence, or I guess it would be the first coming of God, yeah <laughs> no puns, no puns people. Um, that's dangerous because given those religious texts that individual should not exist in the way that they're existing so the events unfold the way that they unfold the individual is paraded through the streets made an example of to show the people that what was attempted with this individual should never be attempted again and anytime it ends up happening later on in history we call them martyrs um, for a reason Uh, and then he is hung up on a cross. When we go into the uh, more metaphysical aspect of this story, as soon as he's stabbed with the spirit of destiny, it, it pushes him over that threshold, and he calls out to God, uh, Oh God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then passes on. He doesn't rise up into heaven. What What you learn is that his whole purpose was to gain entry into hell and set up the prospect of heaven there technically was no heaven before the new testament that's something that i don't think people quite understand there was a place for angels the different orders of angels and if you are going on the hebraic text there's 10 levels of angels if you're going on the christianic and catholic text there's te- i think it's uh i think it's six because uh, cherubim, seraphim, nephilim, uh, archangels, angels, and there's one more. It's not in that order. It's just a bunch of different ones. Um, so let's just say at the very least five. And Islam there's is four. Another four fact. Um, at least they all reside with the host in essence. Uh, and I always think that's amazing. That's the name in essence. Uh, the, the entity that is the embodiment of life. Uh, and the people that were cast out of of heaven were cast down in essence to have to live with human beings, to have to know that they're going to die one day. When they then die, they end up in a place that is devoid of the light of the deity, the light of God. That's all that existed. So the Old Testament, if we're going on the metaphysical plane here, was rife with people that were either destined to go to hell because of the bad things that they did and it was very easy to do bad things if you just look at Deuteronomy and Leviticus there were so many rules so many laws that you'd have to be uh, uh, I guess you'd have to say um, uh, a newly made virgin vegetarian or vegan uh, shut in that's pretty much you'd have to be a monk or a nun to make it into purgatory, which is basically just a waiting area for your energy to, to be displaced. That's technically really all that existed. Even though yes, heaven existed, but it was not a place for human souls to go. Uh, so when they did go, when you did have certain individuals go, and I wanna say David went, uh, Saul went, Solomon went, you know, different people, Ezra, different people that had prominent names, Sarah, uh, the Queen of Bathsheba, who was uh, the, the lover, of Solomon and I highly recommend people read the song of Solomon. You don't have to be religious to do so. You can skip over stuff that seems somewhat religious. That's a love letter <laughs> between King Solomon and the Queen of Bathsheba. It is bizarre. I had no idea that's what it was. And when I can't stumbled across that at 14, that's one of the things that changed my mind about religion. Um, that's something so risque. It could end up being in the Bible and it's just never talked about. Uh, but it's just love professions. The, the, one of the main purposes of Jesus dying the way that he did was to send him to hell. He, he ended up doing things that were considered sins in the Old Testament. Whether it's you look at how the, um, the governing body of the city he was residing in ended up uh, handling his life, uh, treating his actions... They were doing so because what he was doing was considered a sin. It was blasphemous. That's why they would say, oh, blasphemy, blasphemy. Because what he was doing was going against everything that they believed. And he was trying to say, no, you're just interpreting it wrong. You're looking at it wrong. Um, So he kind of, in essence, allowed himself to be given entry to hell. If you want to use an ancient Greek or an ancient uh, Roman, let's say an ancient Roman, Uh, way of looking at it, he was given his first coin to give to Charon, the Ferryman. His second coin was when he created, um, it's not consecration, and it's not tithing, because tithing exists in the Old Testament, but you know what I'm talking about here. uh, Eating the flesh of his flesh, and drinking the blood of his blood. Drinking blood, which I go way more into, over in Bennett and the Queen, in that podcast, go check that out. It's about the I-Vampire graphic novel. The eating of blood was considered a sin in the Old Testament because it was considered where all life existed in every type of living being. So it was laid out, I want to say it's Leviticus 17.11. Uh, the flesh, the, the life in the flesh is in the blood. Rather, the, the whole what is for the life of... For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Um So for him to say, Yes, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, because this is the this is life. This is everlasting life. That's ultimate blasphemy, because given the Old Testament, the words from God given to man were don't ever do that one. Like that's one of the ones you should never do. It's 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 a you know, there's there's more than ten commandments. Go read that too. There's there aren't just ten commandments. There are ten commandments that are described, and then there's like I think like six hundred and eighty more. It's ridiculous how many commandments were given by God, uh, which kind of leads credence to like maybe Moses had an iPad. But anyway, um, when he did this, when when Jesus of Nazareth did this, uh, Jesus son of Joseph and Mary, he in essence gained his second coin for the ferryman. that thusly once he became crucified he went to hell because he committed a sin and did not repent for it when he went to hell and this is the whole Friday is Good Friday and you know that Sunday is Easter where he rose from the dead everyone always talks. like oh he was dead for three days he was dead on Friday dead on Saturday dead on, dead on Sunday and ra- raises from the grave Saturday he spent in hell and went to go get bodies you know given the stories and specifically went to go get Moses now that threw me off so I was like why in the world was Moses in hell and again it's because there's just certain things that would end up going down and it's like hey man um, you know what you may or may not have uh, done the right thing to gain entry into heaven at the moment it's kind of like a very Catholic way of thinking you know, like, you didn't repent right before you died, given that you did all this stuff up till then, that could be deemed hell worthy, so you gotta go to hell, and Jesus' ascension into heaven, I mean, after he talked to some people and then as a ghost and then went up uh, it was like he had already finished his job come Sunday, and him going there was kind of like the victory parade home like, hey, okay, I did it, now we've established heaven, so now anyone can come into, quote unquote my kingdom Uh, as so long as they love each other as opposed to having to follow 600 plus rules because loving each other covers all 600 plus of those rules. If you love each other, you're not going to go out of your way trying to look at yourself as a god or try and go out of your way to covet your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's husband. Uh, You're not going to go out of your way uh, to be disrespectful to your family for no reason whatsoever. You're not going to go out of your way to commit murder. You're not going to go out of your way to do all the... Why should I... I should know know, uh, more of them. More of the Ten Commandments, but I really don't. For some reason, the Ten Commandments start bleeding into the the, the Bill of Rights in the first Ten Amendments, and that's a bad, bad territory to be in. Um, But, suffice to say, uh, loving each other. Love, love, love covers everything. It's hard to do, and that's why it's the greatest thing in the world. Hate is easy. Love is hard. and My love is hard. <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, I thought it was very fascinating that that's what Jesus was kind of, That's really the, the the big thing that Jesus did. It was allow people, anyone, to be able to get into heaven because he created the that ability. It may have existed. The place existed. not like these people were just roaming around in the skies. Again, this is just on the supposition that regardless of what you believe, the Hebraic beliefs, the Christian-slash-Catholic beliefs, or let's just say Protestant beliefs, Uh, or the uh, Islamic faith there was this domain for the good and a domain for the bad but it wasn't necessarily promised that human beings would definitely go to the domain of the good because all these different texts were saying you are inherently sinful you are born into sin not because you are a sinning person but because the world sins you then have to go out of your way to be a good person and that's so hard that people that end up attaining that are worthy of getting into heaven jesus kind of changed that paradigm i know there are prophets here and there that were saying hey look that's that's a lot a lot a lot of drama but him in specific him in particular that's a lot of drama that's a lot of work and people are weak so to have made this creation and condemned them to hell before they have a chance to try and fix themselves is is not necessarily in the vein of love which hey you can call that hippie-esque you can call it bs i think that's beautiful that's beautiful, and again, that's regardless of your religion. Like regardless, whatever faith you believe, that's a beautiful thing to believe. Now, after everything I've just said, that may make it seem like, oh man, this guy's like super religious. I'm irreligious. Two eyes, two Rs. Sorry, three eyes, two Rs. Um, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in heaven or hell. But it is not my place to go in and tell other people there is no God, there is no heaven, there is no hell there is no devil, there is no demons there is no angels, that's not my place because people are are in different places in their life, different stages for a reason they believe what they believe because they believe what they believe and I know nothing about death other than what science tells me just like I know nothing about death other than what a religious text would tell me a religious text says, hey some invisible stuff is going to go down and you have no control over it. Science tells me your body's going to be breaking down, your DNA is gonna be breaking down, you're gonna be a rotting corpse, it's gonna be disgusting, we gotta put you away somewhere. That second explanation is something I can put my hands on, I can grasp, I can fathom that, because I've seen it, I've been to a funeral. The invisible can't be grasped. So you kinda of have to let be what will be. You know, uh, if I'm ultimately wrong in, in my convictions, that's not a strike against me because I'm not actively going out of my way to keep people from believing in one deity or another. What I am doing is trying to expand my horizons, my willingness to accept other people's beliefs and ways of life and struggles and triumphs. I'm willing to be open to their interpretations of what those different things are uh, without uh, the veil of one religion or another covering my face and keeping me from accepting them for who they are—beautiful, amazing, gorgeous human beings. You know, we, we we can do this as a species. It's not—it's not as difficult as we make it out to be. But it can be done. It can be done, people. Uh, I don't like. I'm always saying I don't want to spoil anything that happens. Uh, page fifteen disturbing as hell, 15 and 16, to have it happen in the past and the present, very hard to look at. The color choices, uh, having the pink bleed into everything, having uh, certain shades of colors on certain individuals uh, be all just one color as if different energy transfers are occurring between one, two, three, four, five different people, you know, whatever the case may be, Again, are try not to spoil stuff for people who haven't read it, we're trying to cheat, no cheating, no focus. Um, everything, just, all, all of the shit has hit the fan, not some of it, all of it. And it continues to explode more and more, and I need to point out page 18, I did not notice this until I read this now, but John Constantine watches someone die. He could stop it. Given the circumstances, it would not be that difficult. But he's almost consistently saying he does not like guns. Does not like guns. Doesn't want to be anywhere near them. And I feel like that's going to come up later on in this series. Maybe it'll never get addressed. 300 issues. Maybe they'll never talk about it. That would be cool too. Uh, But I feel like there'll be some kind of trauma that occurred with him with guns that made him never want to be anywhere near one. Um, Which is fascinating. It's fascinating given what is occurring near him, him being able to actually see it, not so far away that it's like, oh, I kind of heard about it because I barely saw it. It was, you know, it just seemed like a tussle and then shots went off, you know. No, he was very close. He was close enough to put his hands out and help the situation. And all these times he didn't because he felt like it was not the right thing to do for him to get involved, which is the general case up until a certain point in this entire story. He just allows everything to unfold the way that it unfolds, and then he just goes about his business, again, without spoiling anything else. Um, Everything goes the way that you would expect it to go in a situation like this. The problem is, you kind of expect a little bit more from a main character, a lead character. And I think that's a beautiful thing, that you get less. You're given less than what you want, and you're actually given way more of what you need which is a different type of character. Somebody that's doing something that's completely abnormal, out of the ordinary, to the general populace, to what's considered and accepted as normal. But in all honesty, given the circumstances of how everything went down, I'm sure most of you, and I know myself, would have probably done the same thing. And that's what hurts the most. That you would have been so helpless, like the rest of us. That you would have allowed something like that to happen. I would have allowed something like that to happen, not because you wanted it to happen, but because of that, the, the, the unnecessary selfish need for self-preservation, always creeping in and rearing its ugly head in betwixt the dilemma and the solution, the problem and you. If you haven't read this week's issue, Seriously. Let alone the rest of the series. You need to go to vertigo.com uh, or you can go to dccomics.com you can go to Comicsology.com. All kinds of stuff end up going together. Honestly, get the back issues. Get... Just, I'm telling you. Buy the first issue and I dare you not to want to read the second one. I dare you. I, 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 I cannot believe that somebody who stumbles down the path of John Constantine would stop reading after the first issue. I could get it after a few issues, you're like, okay, this is destroying my soul. That's totally different. But to pick this up and say, I've read this before, I've seen this before, this has occurred in X graphic novel, or impossible. Allegories to other works of literature and history? Of course that's possible, because everyone's bound to draw from somewhere. But the originality, the creativity from all the artists behind the scenes, and in front of the camera, as it were, as I'm always talking about, the people that behind the camera would be uh, the editor, Karen Berger, um, pretty much everyone at DC Comics at the time that would have allowed something like this to happen before, it went, before they started Vertigo and were like, yeah, flagship. <laughs> go for it. Everything you want to do, go do it. Um, all the people that were there saying all of that stuff, as well as the people quote-unquote in front of the camera, uh, on the other side of the page, as it were, uh, that being inside the page, the ones creating the world itself, uh, the artist's uh, John Ridgway, uh, K- uh, Karen Kinzierski, come on, get it right. Um, uh, I'm sorry, Laverne Kinzierski, uh, the the painter. Todd Klein going out of his way to to make sure that every letter was in its proper place and 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 the meticulously scripted letters, words, paragraphs, uh, love stories to the reader divulged by Jamie Delano uh, and and accentuated by the art that is John Ridgway's creations. All of that is worth your shekels. If for whatever reason you don't want to get it offline digitally because I like having visual issues. It's really cool being able to zoom in and all that stuff and I'm I'm. I'm I like, uh, I like being able to have a bunch of graphic novels on my person at any one time. It's weird. It's, it's a weird sense of security. Like, it's just like, I like to have graphic novels, I like have, having certain books, I like having all that stuff on there just in case, for whatever reason, I'm away from a point A or point B for a long period of time, you know, traveling, and then I could d- thusly read something. I love that. I love that. And something like this is so, so worth having. If for whatever reason you're like, oh, I don't necessarily want to do that. I like having the hard copy. Go for it. Honestly, go to your local comic book store, man. They, they don't, they don't, they don't need you. They want you, and you don't want them, but you need them. Never true, true words spoken. Okay. I just want to say, uh, you know, some of, the, some of the plugs, none of the plugs paid for, uh, check out Comedy Bang Bang, um, it's amazing, you should have probably checked it out by now, if you haven't, it's, it's hilarious, uh, check out uh, Who Charted, check out Improv for Humans, you know what, I think I normally do it that way, uh, so let's do it this way, go check out Improv for Humans uh, with Matt Besser, it's amazing, it's hilarious. Uh, at times it'll get cynical, it'll get hilarious, it'll it'll get deep and then it'll go like weirdly obscure it's it's bizarre. Uh, It's an amazing version of free-form, uh, long-form improv. Uh, Check out Comedy Bang Bang. It's a lot more uh, characters as opposed to character archetypes well, it's more character archetypes as opposed to personalities No, that's not true either. It's just different. It's different. It's a different beast. They're both amazing. They both are five stars. They're they're just, they're bizarre, and they're awesome. Go check them out. Now, another category. Who charted Harmontown. Uh, The indoor caves with Kumail and, oh, Emily. Yes, Kumail Nanjiani and Emily Gordon. Um, Man, what else? What else? The Weekly Planet. Hilarious. Those guys are funnier than they realize. Um man there's 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 so many pockets because you know it's like i'll be doing my thing and to have stuff playing in the background in the back of my head it is awesome and a lot of times it's better than music because uh, music it, it induces things and it's a whole nother conversation to have with you guys and i don't know if i'm going to have that conversation with you guys i feel like i'm missing something because i missed something beforehand when i was plugging uh, other people's podcasts and like hey you should probably check that out because it's actually really awesome um I know Harmony Town was one of them, and I was just an idiot for not mentioning it because I I listen to it all the time. Doug Loves Movies. Hilarious. Hilarious. Uh, uh, Man, what else is is definitely worth pointing out to people? You know what's awesome? There's two podcasts that I feel like are super underrated in the action. Three of them. Uh, The Dead Authors Podcast. That's Paul F. Tompkins, and he plays... uh, Oh, come on. I was going to say something that would be very offensive. I'm gonna say it C.S. Lewis (laughs) but no he plays H.G. Wells Um, I guess Jules Verne would be more uh, insulting that's an inside joke for anyone that listens to that podcast Um, H.G. Wells he portrays him and then he'll have other comedians come in or writers but usually comedians and portray other people so you know Oscar Wilde they'll portray Benjamin Franklin Emily Dickinson Carl Sagan like it gets bizarre um another one, which I think is amazing, and it so made me want to go and just go and do the next season of Ferryman Radio, which is a lot of rendering, because that stuff, you know, when you get stuff coming back to you from the future, it's the algorithms are different and quantum computing is a lot, it's a lot simpler than one would expect it's a lot more streamlined, but we're not anywhere near there yet, so it just takes that much longer to render, but the pot of TomCast, man It's another one that Paul F. Tompkins does where, I don't even want to spoil that. It has, in essence, a beginning, middle, and end. Just go through that and lose yourself in the insanity of that one. That's just, what? You talking you two to me? Jeez. Honestly, like, have a drink or whatever it is you do to relax at the end of the day and listen to you talking you two to me. I don't care if you like you two or not. That is a hilarious show. Uh, Go Bayside. If you're in the, if you're between 25 and 35, you are the prime audience for Go Bayside. Basically, it is April Richardson, another comedian, uh, sits down with you know, some comedian, whichever comedian it may be for the week, and they watch an episode of Saved by the Bell, like the original show, Saved by the Bell. And, and you don't sit there and listen to them, listen to it, like you listen to them after they've just finished watching an episode and they comment on you know, how bizarre the show is. It's hilarious. I can't say it's the same as the other podcasts. You can just listen back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, like Comedy Bang Bang. Oh, my goodness. You can listen to so many episodes back-to-back back and be like, Oh, my God. I lost the day. You can't necessarily do that with that show, with Go Bayside, because it is Saved by the Bell. You kind of have to love Saved by the Bell. to want to hear that many episodes. But she's so funny, and the guests she gets are are, are that funny. Like, they're funny to the point where it makes you want to hear like oh they might reference like another episode like oh this might happen in this episode and you want to go to that episode to see it. it's, it's funny it's genuinely funny I'm getting I'm, I'm talking about all this stuff now because I know I'm going to end up messing stuff up later on um, Analyze Fish hilarious uh, Bill Burr's Monday Morning Podcast I Hear is Amazing I've heard a couple of episodes and, and they, made, they were great I, they made me laugh they were pretty cool uh, so check that out uh, Kevin Pollock's chat show That's a bizarre one. And I think I'm going to leave it there because there's some other ones that I listen to and I'm definitely going to slight... Oh, you know what? No, no, no. There's also the Andy Daly Podcast Pilot Project. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. It's only like eight episodes, I think. (laughs) It's just great. It's great. That dude is talented, underrated, and I hope he has a show right now. I hope it becomes as popular as South Park. The dude is hardworking, just like Paul Tompkins just like Matt Besser, just like, come on Nick, Scott Aukerman, Scott uh, man, just so many of these guys are so talented, just give them a goddamn show, let them go for a season or two, just creating bonkers, you know, Weird Al Yankovic, UHF, slash uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse, slash Dario Argento Suspiria-esque type programming, just let them go for it, just let them go way, way out there, because otherwise you're going to have a bunch of um, expected media, nobody wants that, people like to be surprised, um, and then as well, Pointless, with Kevin Pereira, I, I didn't know I would like the show, there's a couple episodes that I listened to, Like that's not a slight towards him, I just, I, I didn't, like, I know him from G4, from Attack of the Show, uh, I loved that show, it was hilarious, like that was, that's a perfect example, that was a show where they were like, no, we're gonna do what we want, and as long as we don't like curse on the air, we're good to go, that, man, that show was great, it was great, I stopped watching once, I had, uh, moved, and then I started like, more heavily drinking, it was Devil Springs, it's 160 proof vodka, it's made in New Jersey, um, I stopped watching the show, just cause, uh, it's a routine, you know, so you have to be there at 7 o'clock every night, 7 o'clock Eastern, um, That wasn't gonna happen (laughs) at that time period of my life. It just wasn't gonna happen. Uh, Not because I had anything against them. It's just there was no way in the world I was gonna stop doing what I was doing. Um, But anyway, uh, it's it's a it's a good podcast. It really is. It genuinely is. Like especially if you like gaming stuff. That one, uh, the the indoor kids, uh, those two podcasts. Those are like if you like video games. If you like uh, like computer video games. If you like stuff that you that that we aficionados enjoy, you know, so the things that we would have gotten made fun of about in high school or in college that is now considered mainstream today because everybody wants to have the same escape that we had found a decade before and more. Um, if you like those things, check out those podcasts. If you're not that into games, still, check it out because it's not like they just sit there and talk about games all day. Like That'll be the jump-off point. It's really good, you know, and Kevin Pereira that the guests still have he's just open and honest and frank and it's hilarious and with Kumail and, and I should say Mr. Nanjiani or Mr. Pereira <laughs> Mr. Nanjiani and uh, Mrs. Gordon because uh, I, I don't know any of these people um, the, the rapport between uh, Mr. Nanjiani and Miss, uh, Mrs. Gordon are, is it's just it's amazing it's it's I don't know those guys so I, you know, I don't, I don't know what their interactions would be like on a 24/7, the way that you would like your, your group of friends. Uh, but when it comes to, to marriages, I've seen when it comes to putting a public face, the interactions between the two of them and the way that, I don't, I don't listen to Emily Gordon's podcast I, just because I, I, never remember what the hell it's called, and I'm so sorry about that. Uh, but uh, when Kumail Nanjiani is on Harmontown uh, and you hear like how he sounds when he's not with his his partner. You know, like, you know how it is. Come on, people. I'm not, I'm not uh, giving up the ghost here. You know, I'm not pulling back the veil to reveal Oz is an old man here. Uh, People that are in a couple, they act one way when they're together and they act another way when they're separate. It doesn't mean that it's like good and bad or whatever. It's just they're paying attention to each other when they're together. And when they're separate, they're like doing work or they're doing their job. Like that's how it goes. You know, that's life. It makes sense. You don't want to be the same person all the time. The way that You know they are separate, and the way that they are together, it seems to me like one of the most beautiful marriages I've ever listened to. Oh my goodness! There we go. That's a tangent. Okay, so uh, they amazing show, and just like I said, like even if you don't like, if even if you don't like video games, there's a chance that you played one, and if you listen to a couple episodes, they're bound to be talking about one of the ones you played. It's just it's a really good, it's really good podcast. That's the other podcast I forgot to make mention. How did this get made? If you aren't already listening to this podcast, go get it. How did this get made? June Diane Raphael, um, Paul Scheer, Jason Manzoukas. Those three end up sitting down with another actor or another comedian or somebody that was involved with the production uh, high level. You know, so like one of the directors or one of the writers um, above the line. It's not a slight, it's just a term. Uh, they'll sit with them and talk about a movie they just watched. But a movie that they literally falls in the category. How did this get made? The rapport between June Diane Raphael and uh, Paul Shear. Again, I don't. I don't know these guys. You know, I'm just for a long time I was just a consumer, so I watched these people's things. Like you know, however they came to me, and then I actually started you know directing stuff and and, and dealing with stuff. So, but even still, I'm not in those social circles, and yet I envy and admire uh, marriages that seem to be able to work in the public because it seems like things must be going well in private. And they sound like they love each other. And that just makes the podcast have that much more fire. On top of the fact that Jason Manzougas, again, I, Mr. Manzougas, I don't, I don't know this guy. You know, uh, I didn't, <laughs> all I knew of him before this show was, honestly, I, didn't, I, I watched The League before I knew of How Did This Get Made. Uh, so when I watched The League, I would see him as Rafi and I would see Paul Sheer as oh my god whatever his name because that feels so bad with the character but then eventually the character like was made kind of like uh, more badass is that the best way to put it like even more badass it was less like uh, made fun of by the group like he's still made fun of because that happens that, that's group dynamics with guys especially it always happens I'm sure it happens with women too I, I don't know because um, I'm not an increased woman like that uh, but for the most part uh I knew him from, you know, like Shutterbugs and, and Human Giant. And I knew Jason Manzucas from The League. So all I knew him was for this character of Rafi. And then I, I listened to the show and it's like, oh no, he's multifaceted. Like, as opposed to... Wow, this is going to sound like a slight... bucket it is. As opposed to a lot of different actors and actresses who I've met. You know who you are when I say that. And the ones that I haven't who are uh So far from being a prism it 's disturbing as a human being it 's disturbing. It's, it's disturb- and, and disturbing that it 's disturb and it 's disturbing that they 're not uh, a prism that they're just one type of thing you know so they they act a certain way when they meet you and then when they 're actually acting it seems as if they 're just being that person saying the saying the lines that they were given uh that makes me want to throw up like if you're taking acting, if you're not realizing the gravity of acting, then there's no point of acting in the first place. That sounds really Stanislavski, but what I what I mean by that is, when you're on the set, do your fucking job. But then when you're off the set, you can go ahead and be flipping about it, like, oh no, that was just like something I did before. Or you'd be like, oh yeah, I love watching my stuff, and thanks for you know being a patron of my art, or thanks for liking the thing that I did. You know, you can do either one, but. You've got to put some dedication into it once the cameras are on because there are all those people, whether it's hundreds of people on a huge, ridiculous production crew or it's just a couple. just five to ten people that are on a smaller budget thing. you know, uh, Give some reverence. There are people that are taking time out of their day, whether they're getting paid exorbitant amounts or not, chances are they're not, um, to make sure that you look your best and for you to not try and act your best and you just go home you know and honestly like I said I don't know Mr. Manzucas, but it seems to me like he puts himself into it because he is what it seems like he's trying to be as normal as possible as anyone can be when they're being recorded um, whether it's audio or video he's he's you know he's just trying to be him Uh, he seems pretty damn down to earth as a dude Uh, and then as an actor goes there so I saw him you know in in the leagues I knew him with that and I was like yo, he's crazy talented and then I saw him in the dictator and I was like oh my god that's him and then there was this movie I saw, can't remember the name of it. But it was great. And then uh, we came together, crazy amazing movie. Like it, it's all it's going beyond like spoofing stuff. It's it's like it's like Wet Hot American Summer. Uh, Michael Ian Black, Michael Showalter, David Wayne. Um, that's just alphabetical, not order of importance. People. Uh, they ended up putting together this movie that is doing to romantic comedies what Wet Hot American Summer. Did to the summer camp movie of the like late seventies, early eighties, really the eighties, um, where they they weren't expressly saying, "Oh, these movies suck." They were just pointing out things that were mainstays, things that were tropes, but continuing to tell a, cons- a concise, cohesive story. Even in that, he's he's like he's playing the the, the archetypal best friend, you know, and still able to play it up like it's just it's great. It's that, man, you know. I end up doing so much stuff that makes it seem like I'm just flailing people uh, that I've never met <laughs> filleting uh invisible caricatures that I've created but I just feel like people should uh, or, or 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 flipping yeah there we go because there are men and women um I I gotta I have to I have to be respectful I gotta show the, the deference you know I I partake in their art especially a lot of their free art that they put up on you know on iTunes uh, I figure, you know, if I've got an audience of whatever size it may be, whichever podcast, this is different podcasts, it's different size audiences, but, you know, a couple thousand of you that are listening to this, which you guys rock, um, that, you know, you, you go and get it, it's cool, you don't, you don't, you know, log into Twitter and, and follow the podcast, because it's not necessary, like, you don't have to do that to enjoy this podcast, it's just something I say, like, hey, can you do that, that would be really awesome, and then we just talk to each other. Um Again, it's not like, oh, I need to talk to you. It's just, you know, it creates a rapport, so you know, I can give you a heads up. Like Who knows? Next year, there could be a, a bizarre live show where I just do podcast after podcast after podcast back to back, but they all bleed in together, and it's this hour-long show <laughs> that's this weird crossover with all these different stories and vulgar and comedians and, and a movie is shown. Who knows? Who knows? You, you, you'll be able to get the updates or stuff like that through the Twitter accounts. Uh, but I, I just, I figure it's its its a good thing to say that I, I deeply, deeply respect all those people for putting in all that work, for making the art that they make, and for being as passionate about what they're creating as they are. Because a lot of people are flipping about it, and life isn't, it's, it's not a game. It's not a game, it's real. It's real, son. Um, let me stop. All right. Uh, and now I'm gonna get a little so, a little more selfish. Go to ferrymanradio.org, ferrymanradio.org. Um, that's it's the site. Don't want to spoil anything. Uh, you can get it on iTunes too. Just Ferryman Radio, two words. Um, Fourth Monkeys, fourthmonkeys.bandcamp.com. Um, lead singer is John Ian Murr It's funny because there's no singing on any of the tracks, but you know they they're an interesting band. I figure I give him a, a shout out, and you know what, on that tip, no, no, I'm not going to go there. I was going to start talking about a bunch of other bands. You can go ahead and on iTunes, give this show, five stars. Why? Because um, you're trying to be a good person. You're not a good person, uh, just like me, and everyone else. You're not good. You do like messed up stuff. You know, you see a twenty dollar bill on the floor, you pick it up. You look around first to see if anyone's searching their pockets, you know, and then you decide whether you want to do the good thing and like keep it or say like, "Hey, anyone drop twenty bucks?" But uh, when was the last time you heard anyone say that out loud? So go ahead, and give this give this show five stars, and who knows? One day I might be able to give you a hug, you know, male or female, I don't, I don't care. It's it's love. Uh, we could share a story, share some tea at a coffee bar because I like to do anaphemous things like that, you know. Just, just just, be cool, man. Be cool. And go see Expendables 3. This was episode 5. I have been Nick Antoine. You have been the unwitting listener. Thank you for listening. Drink something cold.